back a number of months ago, I commissioned Steve, who's our pastor of our of family and adults, to find us a great post-Easter study to do together as a church. We think there's great value in us having a sermon series and a life group study and daily kind of focus in individuals' lives. When we pull that all together, we, we think it creates a great moment for us as a church and as individuals to really take a next step forward. And so Steve really was, in many ways, the, the one who discovered this series that we're working through, AHA, which is really is just kind of helping to draw into focus the ways that we need to be alert to respond to God's ongoing activity that is always around us. God is always seeking to teach us, to grow us, to shape us. He's working all the time around us. And so we need constantly to be in a place where we can respond to God. And so uh, as a part of that, since Steve was just such a, a big part of putting that all together, I asked him to do a couple of the messages. And so he's going to be sharing this morning. On top of that, we know that Mother's Day is usually the third highest attended Sunday in the year. We wanted to make sure you heard a good sermon. So we got Steve to preach instead of me. But I want to take just a moment and pray for Steve, and then he'll be sharing with you today. So, God, thank you that you speak. You know, Father, you, you speak all the time. God, you, you, you never sleep. You never slumber. So you're always on duty. You're always at work in us. You're always at work around us. God, you're constantly moving and shaping. God, you desire to guide us as we trust you. So God, in these moments, help us to understand how it is that we stay vigilant and being responsive to you as we move forward. Help us to have eyes that see, that are awakened to what you're doing. And then know what to do with it as we move forward. I thank you for Steve, his heart for you, the word that you've poured into him. But I, I, you know, Father, at this point, he's just a tool in your hands. This isn't a performance for him. It, it's, it, it, he's just a vessel that you're going to speak to us through. So give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are ready. And speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. My name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of family and adults here at Hope Chapel and it's my privilege to be able to speak with you on Mother's Day. And it's go, so good to see all the moms in here. Some of the dads are working down in, in the Kids Connect. We're thankful for them. And it's good to see some of you here because your mom asked you, would you please, please come to church with me on Mother's Day? And so you did the right thing. You came here on Mother's Day. And uh, I get the privilege of speaking with you, which is maybe a good thing and maybe not so good of a thing. The good part is that we're in the middle of a series called AHA, Awakening, Honesty, and Action. We've been asking God to reveal to us areas in our lives that He would want us to change. So we've had a couple weeks in awakening, we'll have a couple weeks now in honesty, and we'll have a couple weeks in, in action. And as the pastor over life groups, I had the privilege of picking out the study, creating some of the materials for the series, and I have this big picture, so to speak, of the whole thing start to finish, and I'm excited about what God's doing in my life and what God is and already is doing in, in your life. The not-so-good part about this is that today we begin into the topic of honesty. And if we're going to be honest about things that God wants to have us change and we're going to be honest about our relationship with Him, then we're going to have to talk about things like sin, rebuke, repentance. And I know what you're saying. You've got to be kidding me, right? Of all the days for me to come to church, of all the days that you're going to talk about that, it has to be today on Mother's Day. 
And believe me, I thought about switching some of the messages around so that we didn't have to hear this topic today. I even wore a bright shirt, maybe to lighten the mood up in here a little bit. But the more I thought about it, the more I understand that moms appreciate honesty. In fact, they want to hear the truth. They want their kids to tell them the truth. They certainly want their husbands to tell them the truth. And they want to have some friends that are honest with them. We all know somebody that we wish that they would just understand, that they wish they would, they would just get it so that they would understand that life doesn't have to be that way, that life can actually be better. And that's what God is saying to us. I just want you to get it. I just want you to understand that life doesn't have to be that way, that life can actually be better. And when we're talking about communicating the truth, I think this is a special character trait that mothers have in general. I mean, moms more than fathers have this special ability to communicate a rebuke in a loving way. For example, my wife and I, when we're communicating with our kids, most of the time I feel like we're saying the same thing. And many times, as hard as I try, I feel like I'm communicating in, in as gentle fashion as I can. But I'm the one that's the scary one, right? And my wife, even though eh, she's a little crazy sometimes, we know that she is doing so out of love. She's doing so out of love. You may remember the mom, Toya Graham, who a few weeks ago was down in Baltimore and went down to get her son out of the riots. You may have seen the video where she's down there grabbing her son, slapping him in the head, cursing at him, letting him know that she did not approve of him being involved in the riots. Now, what I didn't see is I didn't see anybody scolding her for her actions, saying, you know what, you should have communicated your displeasure in your son in a more uplifting and wholesome manner. <laughs> People were saying, I applaud your strategy. That was excellent. And some were even saying that she should be the mother of the year. She wanted to communicate that you better do the right thing or you're going to have to mess with me, your mama. Now, what I'm not saying is that God wants to come down and slap you upside the head when you mess up. But we do have to be honest that the things that we do in life does affect our Heavenly Father. Now, fathers, unfortunately, carry a different connotation than mothers just automatically. If you would think about it like this, there's a father who works long nights. He's maybe rarely home several nights a week. He doesn't get the chance to put his kids to bed. He misses some of their activities. How do you picture that father? Maybe some of you want to go to that dad and begin to talk to him about some priorities. Maybe he needs to straighten his priorities, be home a little more for the kids and the family and less priorities on money and career. Now think about a mom. She's working late nights. She's rarely home. She doesn't get to put the kids to bed. She misses some of their activities. How do you picture her? Most of us would applaud her, find her inspiring, find her as someone who's sacrificing for her family. So I think we just need to be honest that there's a different kind of connotation between a mother and a father. And maybe God would have a better image if we knew him as the heavenly mother versus the heavenly father. Of course, I'm only being facetious, but God does use mothering terms to describe what he does such as like he's a hen that gathers her young in Matthew 23. He's like a mother who comforts her children and even nurses them in Isaiah. He's the, ma he's the woman who is looking for the lost coin that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, right before the parable that this whole series has been based upon. And even though God uses mothering terms to describe how he loves and comforts and cares and protects and provides for his children, 
God has chosen to be known as God the Father. And maybe that's just a message that we should have on Father's Day. My whole point is that when we think about a mom's rebuke, we don't deny that it's an expression of love. As a parent, we want the best for our children. And so I want us to have that same attitude as we talk about sin and rebuke and repentance from God, that God wants nothing more than the best for you. He wants nothing more than the best for you. And as he talks and shares with you things that he wants to see change in your life, it's an expression of love. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, this is on page 886. We've read through this parable each time. We'll read through it again this morning. In Luke chapter 15, we'll start in verse 11. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his field from the carob pobs the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's Hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, this morning we're going to particularly look at verses 17 through 19 and kind of flowing into verse 20. 
the younger son had gone through this really painful experience and he had this awakening, an alarm sound of his situation in which he was in. You know, he found himself broke, hungry, alone, and he was feeding pigs. This was the low of the low, the poor of the poor. Food was scarce. And he began to look at the carapobs he was feeding the, the pigs and they were looking really good. But the Bible said no one would in, give him any of those. It's kind of interesting that they wanted to make sure that the pigs had something to eat rather than this man. And how does that make you feel? The pigs were more important than this man. So in verse 17, it said, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses. Some translations have that, when he came to himself, when he came to himself. See, not only was this younger son in a distant country physically from his father and his friends and his family, he was in a different country from himself in his own mind. He had to come to himself. He needed a, a reality check. He had to introduce himself to the real himself. Hi, Steve. Meet Steve. Steve, Steve. Hi, 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 how you doing? You know, you know you need help when you begin to talk to yourself and your only friend is yourself and sometimes that doesn't really work out. The point is that he could no longer deny the situation. He couldn't avoid the pain that he was actually experiencing. He couldn't minimize the heaviness that this burden was on him. And we have no idea how long this process took. You know, we read the parable and it seems like just a matter of minutes, but it's probably not like the son went and spent everything he had. And the next day he found a job and the next day he's like, I'm a little hungry. I guess I'll go back home with my father. This was probably a long process. When he came to himself. And reality can be very hard for any of us to accept. Maybe for some of us, it's hard to recognize that we're getting older and we can't do the things that we wish we could. Or maybe we lost that job and we're not going to get a job like that. We may not be able to make a lateral career move. Or maybe now we have a family and our freedoms and responsibilities have completely changed. Or maybe we've graduated from college and we needed a job like, you know, yesterday. Sometimes it's hard to come to those realities and see, before this younger son could really figure out what he needed to do, because he probably thought about everything that he could do and he tried those, before he could figure out what he needed to do, he needed to challenge his beliefs. No longer could he believe that life away from the father was going to be better. No longer could he believe that life in the distant country was going to be grand and it was going to be amazing. No longer could he believe that someone was just going to come and bail him out. No longer could he believe that things were just somehow going to be better. This wasn't a phase in life. Have you guys ever heard that saying, this too shall pass? This too shall pass? They say, just take it easy, relax, have some patience. Things will get better, things will change. But what this younger son needed to ask himself was, what are you going to do if this too shall not pass? Then what are you going to do? You don't want to come to the point when you don't have any solutions and you've hit rock bottom. See, not only was this younger son really humbled by his circumstances externally, but he was humbled internally. He had to wrestle with, how did I get to this point in the first place? And he had to really own some responsibilities for his actions. 
So we see him say, I have sinned. I have sinned. And not only have I sinned, but I need to go to my father, the one that I disgraced, the one that I betrayed, and I need to confess my sins to him. And I know that I don't really deserve any forgiveness. I know that I don't deserve to be called one of his sons. But I know that I've sinned, and I know that I need to go to the Father. I don't care what the Father has me do. I just know that having a relationship with the Father is better than where I am now. And it's sad that we often have to come to a point where we're completely broken, when we're waving the white flag of surrender, when that's when we realize we need God. And when we come to this humbling truth, we still have a choice to make. See, there's a difference between regret and repentance. There's a difference between regret and repentance. Some of us would admit that we've been humbled by his circumstances, but somehow we've managed to kind of pull ourselves together and get through them. It's hard for us to admit that maybe we have sinned. We may admit that we've done some things that maybe contributed to the issues in the wrong way, but to call it a sin, I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. Sin is one of those bad words, right? I mean, we didn't kill anybody. Nobody got hurt. It's just two different people with two different perspectives. That's it, really. We don't want to call it sin because then that means somehow I deserve some of these consequences and I'm partially to blame. And I'm not saying that everything that's happened in our lives is because we have sinned, but I'm saying we need to admit in areas where we have sinned, maybe part of the cause, maybe part of why it's going on, or our reaction to what has happened. Have we sinned? What we often like to do is we like to look at what everyone else did that made us do what we had to do. You know, it's really their fault. If they didn't do that, then I wouldn't have had to do this. Or we say, you know what, I deserve this. After all that I've been through, after all that I've had to deal with, I deserve this. We try to justify because ultimately we don't want to have to answer to anyone. We may regret that the situation's got to where it is, but to call it a sin, I don't want to go that far. And listen, I have to be honest with you. I've got to be honest with myself. If we stay in that mindset, there's very little room for change. If we want to have some spiritual change in our lives, then we're going to have to be honest with what God is revealing in us about what he wants us to change. And we see that change in the younger son. He said, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He saw that there's a difference between regret and repentance. See, regret will look back and it wishes that things could have been different, but it's unwilling to change or unwilling to see that change needs to happen on my end. Repentance looks back and it's willing to leave it all behind because it wants to pursue a different direction. It said, I've tried it my way, now I want to try it God's way. I don't want to live in disobedience anymore. I want to live in obedience with God. I want to show you an example from the Old Testament. Would you turn to Genesis chapter 4? Genesis chapter 4. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, this is on page 3, way back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 4, this is when Adam and Eve have their firstborn sons. We're going to look particularly in what Cain and how he responded in an unrepentant way. So in verse 1, chapter 4, Adam knew his wife Eve intimately. 
and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel became a shepherd of the flock, but Cain cultivated the land. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but not, did not regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he was downcast. Now, I want to stop there and, and note what they offered. Cain offered some of his produce, while Abel offered of the firstborn and the fatty ones. You know, it wasn't that God wasn't clear on what needed to be offered. And it wasn't that God just one day decided he liked this, and the next day he decided to like that. They understood what God had required. It wasn't even that one offered a grain offering and one offered a meat offering. It had everything to do with their attitude. Cain offered some of his produce, while Abel offered the firstborn, the ones that would return quickly on his investment. If he offered his firstborn, then he had to wait for another one. He also offered the fatty ones, you know, the big bone guys that were going to provide the most meals for his family, the ones that they had feed and kind of saving up for. Those are the ones he offered. It seemed that Abel understood the seriousness of sin because he offered an offering that was serious. And Cain must have not understood how serious the offering needed to be and therefore didn't understand the seriousness of sin. And so we'll kind of see how having a weak view of sin, where that's going to lead. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? Why are you downcast? If you do right, wouldn't you be accepted? If you do not do right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, God poses a great question here. Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Why are you disappointed? I know you got all upset because you didn't have the right offering. But why are you upset? Why are you downcast? Is it because you're convicted and you're upset about the sin that you've committed? Or are you convicted and you don't like the feeling of conviction? Is it because you're convicted and, you, and you're upset about the sin that you've committed? Or are you convicted and you don't like the feeling of conviction? There's a difference. God is saying, just do the right thing. You know what the right thing is to do, so just do that and you'll be accepted. Now, with my kids, sometimes they don't do what I ask them to do. And I know all of your kids always do everything you ask them to do, but my kids sometimes don't. I'll ask them to do something, they don't do it. And so I'll take away things like screen time or they can't get a snack that night. It's pretty horrible, I know. But sometimes when they get their screen time taken away or they don't get a snack, they are all upset like it's my fault. And all I'm saying is, just do what I asked you to do. Just do the right thing and we wouldn't even be having this talk. We wouldn't have this issue. There wouldn't be a problem. Just do what I asked you to do. And Cain didn't see that it was his fault at all. Sin was not a big deal for him. And God warned him, sin is crouching at your door. It's like those scary movies, which I don't watch because I don't understand the purpose of sitting down and trying to be scared on purpose. 
But it's like those scary movies where you're watching and you're going, why are you going down in the basement? Well, don't open the door. Don't go around that corner. It's bad news. And God's saying, don't open that door. It's not a little kitten. It's not a little bunny. It's a lion that wants to pounce on you. It's stranger danger. Do not open that door. It's something that we have to take the threat seriously and to take charge. Don't open that door. And I like how Neil said it a few weeks ago. We act as though we could lead sin around on a leash, on a leash. But it's really something that wants to pounce up and bite us and cause damage in our lives. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain did not see that the problem was him. You know who the problem was? His brother, his show-off brother. Why would his brother do that to him? Why would his brother offer such an amazing sacrifice? Why would he do that to me, embarrass me like that? You know, if he would just do the same thing I did, then we could kind of fool God, and God wouldn't know any better. Why would my brother do that to me? It was his brother's fault. And you see how sin leads to further sin? Sin begins to blur the line in the sand until, well, there's not much of a line at all. And we can get to that point as well. Well, we really don't see sin as sin. That's a dangerous place for for us to be. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to King, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Now, as a twin, I've used that several times. My mom would say, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The point is that he lies to He lies to God as though we can lie to him. God is beginning to reveal some things in our lives where he wants us to change, and we're like, I don't know, God, if that's true. You know, I don't know if I need to change in that area. So we lie to God as well. Verse 10, then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed with alienation from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the land, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. God gives him the consequences of his sin. Sin is not free. It'll cost you something. It will make your life harder, period. Verse 13, but Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the soil, I must hide myself from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Woe is me. I'm the victim. It's not my fault. It's your fault, God. You know, you're the one that's pushing me away. You're the one that's causing me to, be, to have a, a distant relationship with you, to be away from church. If you weren't so mean, then you and I could be friends. It's your fault. You're the one that pushed me away. He never takes personal responsibilities for his actions. He never sees the need of repentance. So we see that Cain eventually leaves the presence of God. He goes into the distant country where he never returns back. 
In fact, in this distant country, he has a new family. He builds a city. And we see that his great-great-grandson commits the exact same sin of murder that he did. Sin is your problem, but it can go down to generation to generation. And we know that to be true. My wife and I are having two foster kids. We adopted our second son. We were in foster care for a few years. We had about six to eight kids in our home. And some of those kids would go back and we would think, when they grow up, they're going to be exactly like their parents because they just don't know anything different. So sin is your problem, but it can spill all over the place. So you and I need to be honest with ourselves about our actions, whether they are sinful in the eyes of God. We need to be willing for God to convict us and be willing for people around us to convict us in certain areas and to speak truth in our lives. We need to know that, you know what, we've all sinned. That's, that's plain and clear. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everybody who has ever lived on this earth except for Jesus Christ was a sinner. And God used some of the most sinful sinners to do his work. Moses was a sinner. Abraham was a sinner. King David was a sinner. But the difference was that they admitted their sin, and when they admitted their sin, their stories changed. They saw the difference between regret and repentance. It was the difference between Cain and Abel. It was the difference between King Saul and King David. And it will be the difference in your life as well. So there's value in accepting rebuke and to feeling convicted. You know, it's the moment when the alarm sounds in our life and we have the opportunity to come to our senses, to come to ourselves, to come to reality, and to realize that we can go to God for something better. And thankfully for this son, he responded to that conviction. The older son, perhaps, did not respond to the conviction because he didn't think he did anything wrong. We don't know how he responded because the parable just kind of ends there. But maybe the older son, he never saw that he sinned, so he never saw a need to repent and Perhaps there wasn't any change in his life. The warning for us today is that we can get to a point where we really don't see sin anymore. And when that happens, conviction from God is hard to recognize. And when conviction from God is hard to recognize, how can we repent? And if we don't repent, how can we change? God is willing to allow us to go into the distant country. We've heard that a couple weeks ago. But God warns us with his word. He warns us by putting people in our lives. He sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. But the more that you and I run away from God's promptings, the more that you and I don't respond when he warns, the more we put it off for another day, I'll deal with that later, the more we say, eh, it's not that big of a deal. God will forgive me anyways, right? The less we begin to notice him nudging us. The more we brush it off, the more we can stay right where we are. God is more than ready and willing to bring us back when we confess our sin to him. And that's what we're going to talk about more next week. How does God respond when we come to him with our sin? And I'll let you know that the story doesn't end here. The story continues, and it's a great story. So I invite you to come back next week to hear that positive message you were hoping to get this week. And maybe you can bring a friend along with you, all right? So let's pray. God, we know that you are good. And God, we know that you have our best interest in mind. You want us to have the best. And God, help us to understand that you share with us areas where we need to change. You show us sin in our lives because you love us. It's an expression of your love. 
help us to be honest with that. Help us to understand when we get angry and upset uh, that it's because we've committed a sin and now we just need to do the right thing. Help us to, to do that. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I just want to give you an opportunity this morning just to have a conversation with God, maybe right where you're at. They're just going to play. They're beginning singing. Just where you're at, maybe you have a conversation with God. If you want, you can come forward. You can pray up here on the steps, or you can, can pray with me. But I just want to give you that opportunity this morning.